Hello and welcome to episode 170 of the Saint Score podcast, where we have a look at everything going on at Southampton Football Club. After weeks of doom and gloom, a Saints finally on the up. After failing to strike a deal with Jesse March, caretaker boss Ruben Sellers led Southampton to what could be a crucial three points against Chelsea, with James Ward-Prowse scoring his 17th Premier League free kick to win the game. I'm Harry Tizzle, I'm joined by Jamie Allen, Mikey Maidman and Ollie Bose this week to talk about everything that's gone on. And Ollie, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I've had a good weekend. It's lovely and sunny up here in Bristol. I don't know what's going on. Out of nowhere, it's just... Raining in sunshine, maybe it knows that Saints finally got a win. But yeah, it, I think I'm doing good. I, I was smiling ear to ear yesterday after the result. So um, yeah, my housemates thought I was drunk or something because I was walking around just beaming. But yeah, after so long waiting for a win, um, yeah, it didn't disappoint. Drunk with joy. Jamie, are you the same? I was happily listening on the radio, eating my fish and chips. It's brilliant because obviously a free pen kickoff, you can't watch it at home if you don't have the right licences. So Happily enjoying listening to the two lads on Radio Sermon. And Mikey. I mean, you two were enjoying the game. I was stressful for the entire 90 minutes. I was so <laughs> stressed out. I we had um I was down at Haven't again, so I was listening on to the listening along to the game while recording it. Um and Haven't scored a 90th minute winner. So that was stressful going from 2-1 down to win 3-2. Uh and then obviously having what 12 minutes of extra time because of the injury at the end of the Saints game so yeah very stressful felt sick for the last 25 minutes but glad we got the three points down the, uh, <laughs> down the line well everyone thought it was going to be Jesse March that was going to take over and I think the contract's almost being printed he he was sh- seen in a hotel but they couldn't quite agree a deal Jeremy Wilson from the Telegraph said that it was down to contract length we wanted a shorter deal he wants a longer one for the project uh, and Ollie what do you think about that whole conundrum because we really thought a lot of places were saying it's on the verge of happening and then mm. it breaks down right at the last minute yeah, well, Talk Sports said that we were going to appoint him the next morning, which I thought was interesting. I had a few thoughts on Jesse Marsh being brought in. I thought the six-month contract, firstly, made sense. Firstly, in a financial standpoint, because we'd lost a considerable amount of money paying the compensation for the rest of Nathan Jones's contract. So um, it, it made sense in a business standpoint, but unfortunately, managers in this era will just not take that, that lack of... Um, Stability is that the word? Uh, assurance by having a short-term contract because if it's not working after three weeks, you could you could get rid of him. But so I, I understood why we offered it. I also understand why Jesse Marsh um, turned it down. It was also very quick appointment from when he just left Leeds as well. There was less than two weeks in between him managing his final game and then potentially managing his next game. So it seemed a very um, rushed decision for him as well. I understand why he he turned it down. I also wasn't fully convinced with him joining. A lot of people on online, on Twitter, on the radio were discussing saying it makes sense, it's very sensible. However, for me, I I didn't really buy into it. I The one thing I, I liked is the fact that he's a very good man manager and he seems like he would bring some positivity. But the reservation is that I had was almost the fact that he was too similar to Ralph. The players didn't get on with Ralph's style near the end. And the things that I didn't like seeing in, in Ralph's style, which was not holding onto the ball, putting it in dangerous areas in ready, like ready to counter press, 
is the exact thing that Jesse Marsh did at Leeds. And he didn't control the possession. He made the pitch very narrow and bombed on the, the fullbacks, which meant on the counter-attack, we, well, his Leeds teams were very vulnerable to counter-attacks and conceded a lot of goals, which is what we were doing the whole season previously before. So for me, I had real reservations with him joining. We discussed it as a four, and I said I don't really want him to come in. Um, but it seems we found a solution. So Oli was, you know, he wasn't convinced, but clearly the board were. Well, I say in a way, they only offered him a six-month contract. Mikey, were you surprised that they weren't able to or willing to offer them a longer one simply due to the fact that a lot of teams see a lot of people see us as a as a project team. We get the young players in, we try and develop them over a longer period of time. But if Jesse March saw this as a long term plan, it almost felt like he'd if we did go down, he'd stick with us. Are you surprised that we didn't offer him a three, three and a half year deal? Not really, no, because I think there's a lot of up in the air at the moment on where we will be in six months' time and whether we want to, well, if we stay in the Premier League, would we want Jesse Marsh to continue as our manager? I, I don't know if we would. I, I think the club didn't want to be sucked into a situation where they did with Mark Hughes a couple of years ago because all, all because we stayed up, we offered him a three-year deal and ended up sacking him four months later. <laughs> so you just don't know because it's a very... Um, high pressure environment where players will start to perform over what they've got because they're fighting relegation so things may change once the relegation battle's been done and and then you're into a new season and all of a sudden pressure's off and and you've got like a 10 game spell where you're deciding where you're going to be for the next next year so yeah i'm i'm in agreement with ollie in the fact that it, i was skeptical about him coming in like the 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 goal record that leeds have against is only one less than ours like we we're, we're not um they they weren't a clean sheet they weren't a controlling style of play which is what i want to have i i think how we controlled the game against Chelsea was better than we've controlled games throughout the entirety of the season, it felt like. And it is just one instance that it's happened. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the feeling is, is that the Premier League worked Jesse Marsh's system out. He wasn't willing to adapt his situation to the Premier League. He wanted to continue with what he's had because he's had success in in what the austrian league and 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 building there and then he's not quite done it at leipzig had a really tough time at leipzig and then has had a tough time at leeds once he'd been bought in it it felt like marsh was a bit of a huge signing for Leeds, where he didn't actually do great he just did the job that needed doing and then they kept him on when probably they should have looked elsewhere um because they weren't amazing by the end of last year it wasn't like he dragged them out it was a final day survival in not what jack harrison scoring in the 86th minute or something ridiculous like that it was a proper late job that they managed to survive so yeah I, I i don't think jesse marsh was right i think the club were right to give him that six month deal and and i yeah i, I feel like the club have done well in the negotiation to get it to a point where it was close but i think marsh if if he if we didn't feel like we wanted him for six extra months, and Marsh wanted probably a three or four year deal to sort of tie him down to a job, then yeah, it just makes sense to to both parties to part ways because we don't have the same idea. And if the club if the club felt like they only wanted a manager for six months, they shouldn't bend to another manager's rules just to get him in. The club needs to do what's best for the club, not for the external. 
And Jamie, how do you feel like it affected the preparation for the Chelsea game? Because, you know, the players will see the media. They'll see that oh, we've almost got this manager through the door. They'll be having pictures in their heads of, do you think they'll fit in? Where do you think I'm going to play? But then he doesn't. So do you think it would have caused confusion? Do you think it would have galvanised them, the fact that now we've got a back sellers? What, what do you think happens? I just think that the players love him and it's clear to see that at the end of the Chelsea game, they're pushing towards the crowd. I think the players hopefully will have a word with the players, the staff around the training ground and get in the job. I think it's deserved. I just want to say, I thought it was funny, but the whole breakdown contract with Jesse March that for once a manager wanted to be off for a while, <laughs> that's why it got turned down because the fact he wanted to be with us for this longer period of time. So it's never really see that nowadays. Of play. That's the reason why it turned down because they wanted to be here. Well, it, we don't know if Salaz is going to be here for a long time or a, sh- or a short time. But before the Chelsea game, a lot of people questioned the idea of Ruben Salaz taking us for the game and maybe for the rest of the season. I thought a lot of that criticism was relatively unfair. I know that he's not been a manager before. So there's there's obviously loads of questions around it. But you look at people like Eric Ten Hag, that you know, was assistant manager before, then he became a manager. Jose Mourinho was a translator, then an assistant manager, and then a manager. But then you can look at Paul Clement and uh, Craig Shakespeare that haven't really taken the step up either. Ollie, what was your view on the situation at the time? Yeah, well, on Wednesday, people were very upset that um, after the contract negotiations broke down, it was reported that Saints will he will take on the the Chelsea game and that they see him as a viable option to continue for the rest of the season. People were outraged. They're like, oh, we're going guaranteed going down. This is a terrible idea. You know, all, all that kind of reactionary stuff. But I said it the week before on the podcast. I want to tap myself on the back a little bit here. But I said, <laughs> it's a guy who knows the the players well. And we've heard a lot of reports coming out saying the players respect him. And that's a key step for the getting players to start playing well with confidence is working for someone they respect. And even people were putting on their tinfoil hats and saying, oh, this is all just propaganda sent by the club to make us get on board. Why? Why would that? Like, it's, it's probably true that they respect this, this coach and they genuinely believe he's a good manager and that they want to play for him. And we saw on the weekend, as we'll get on um, later on, that you can clearly see that they want to play for him and they were putting bodies on the line, working hard, playing in a system, looked organised, um, looked aggressive, and um, whatever he's doing in the background is working. Yeah, and his press conference gave me a lot of hope as well. Although I would say the same for Nathan Jones when he came in, he he gave me a lot of hope, and sadly that didn't that didn't quite muster. Um, little bits that I liked, I felt like he backed the team and said that he really liked the players. And, you know, it sort of contrasts to some reports where he's where because of the size of the squad, he might have had a couple of words on the training ground saying that, um, I think I saw somewhere, sorry, I can't think of the source that said it, but had a, had a few words saying that if you don't if you don't step up, you're not going to play. So it sort of feels like in the media, he'll back them, but maybe in the training ground, he'll have a quiet word, which is something that maybe Nathan Jones didn't um, a few times. He sort of, when he was asked about managers that he looked up to, he didn't just name one or two and sort of say, yeah, because they're really good. I think he named like five or six and really like dug deep on why that they've affected him. Maybe because Rafa Benitez at Valencia, that's where he was all the way up to Ralph Hasnuto and been able to see him. And also his attire at Chelsea. I hope he sticks with it. I really do hope he sticks with he it. He looked good. He, he looked awesome. <laughs> yeah. And going into the Chelsea game, 
we didn't know what was going to happen, but thankfully it was three points to us. Before we go on to anything, you know, as a podcast, we, we wish Cesar Spilicueta well after it was quite a, a nasty knock to the head. But the game, like I said, three points. Mikey, what was your opinions on it? Um, I felt like we controlled the first half really, really well. I thought the ref was a little bit soft. Um, for, for a lot of the game, it felt like that the whistle was being blown quite often. But that just happens sometimes. We were nice, we were aggressive, we came out the traps, we had Stuart Armstrong back in the side, finally. Um, and that was just lovely, uh, lovely to see. And, and he made a difference in the game, definitely floating in off the right-hand side. Um, but yeah, I, I think, to be fair, we, we had a very even game with Chelsea, especially with the amount of money that they spent. I know they're not quite together at the moment with the fact that they've got so many players and so many players that could be starting it's almost a headache for Graham Potter of trying to keep everyone under control and everyone happy so um lots of new faces for Chelsea in the game and um yeah it felt like we we were aggressive we pressed really really well Lavia was uh, unbelievable in the center again keeping the ball he's such a fantastic press resistant midfielder he keeps onto the ball even under challenges he, he manipulates his body so well to faint players into decisions he's he's a wonderful player to watch and a brilliant player at keeping the ball and that that then turned into us having quite a good attacking presence and Onowachu just gives us that presence up top to allow us to be able to clear the ball and calm things down because he's six foot seven, the ball hmm. just bounces to his feet. His touch is fantastic. Technically, he's brilliant. Same with Sulemana, but in the opposite, technically, he's fantastic and really quick, nippy lad who can get onto the end of these balls as well. So it gives us an out and a way to relieve pressure that we haven't done over the, the six months of the season that we've had prior. Um, going into the second half, Sterling came on and change the game he would he's sterling is such a good dribbler on the ball can retain it so well and even with the size that he is he, he bounces off his challenges and stays on his feet his balance is fantastic so him being able to cut in off the right hand side and cause problems there it started to cause us problems and we had to i, I don't know if it's luck or if it's just very good defending but like maitland niles parade lavi are all putting blocks in uh, in front of goal, Bazunu making saves, coming off his line and, and making catches. It was just all round, just a fantastic performance and one that you hope will galvanise the side and go, yes, we can do this. And we're not far off of a, a of escaping the bottom three. We're three points away from the likes of Bournemouth and Everton, who both got wins yesterday as well. So, you know, it's slightly unfortunate, but we're we're keeping pace with these teams. We're we're not we're not losing ground to them. We're keeping pace to them, and as long as we can start putting in this sort of performance week in, week out and, and giving pressure, of course. It'd be different because Chelsea leave space and they play out the back, so they don't really go long. So it'd be different coming up against Leeds, who are a bit more of a longer ball side and probably stick to the same principles that Jesse Marsh has currently well, had installed there because they've not got their new manager yet. Um, but yeah, just all round, just a fantastic performance and one where, yeah, towards the end on the knife edge slightly, but... Yeah, and got got away with it and got the three points. So happy days there. Yeah, so you, you talked about teams winning around us. I think it's the first time in eight years that all three teams that started in the bottom three got all three points. But Mikey <laughs> seemed ecstatic. Jamie, what are your thoughts on the game that just passed? I just think it's brilliant to see the team playing together and playing it as a unit. Compared to under Jones, it's just a bit of a mess. Everyone was all over the place. 
and it's just nice to see a togetherness in the squad. I think re- that's what really what Ruben's done this last week is kind of a, told the boys to get, get yourself together and act like a team. Because that was we were not like that under Jones. And just, I just think, especially seeing the passion from the players, like you see Parade with that goal line clearance, tapping the chest, tapping the badge, showing the love. It's just the players want it. The players want to stay in the Premier League. They will fight for the team. And I just think it's brilliant because we didn't really see that under Jones. Not saying the players didn't care and weren't trying. I think this this game we just played was just such a different side. The passion was clearly there and obvious because they're playing the football they want to play, the football they like to play, rather than the bit of the messiness under Jones where not where he wasn't really sure and the players weren't sure what was going on. Ollie, Jamie talked about seeing things there that you just didn't see under Jones. Would you say that the players down tools for Jones at times, or would you say that Sellers just gave them some clear tactical instructions and everything just sort of seemed a lot clearer, really? Yeah, interesting, because in his, I believe it's his pre-match conference, he mentioned about going back to some of the principles that the club had before. He mentioned that due to the time restraint, he couldn't go and create some brand new system. He had to go back to things that the the players were familiar with. So he might have taken some sort of, um, yeah, some sort of setups from the different managers that he could probably tell the players could get on board with. Maybe the players... I think most players like to play on the front foot, like to press. You can see Wal Prowse kind of commanding his players up when they initiate the press. He kind of pulls his hand up and get gets all the players to go. So I think that's things that he might need to, yeah, like um, the manager's saying, let's try and incorporate this part, maybe some of some things from Nathan Jones. I honestly couldn't tell you what he, he <laughs> might incorporate from uh, Nathan Jones ball. Um <laughs> But yeah, it, uh, when you mentioned about downing tools, I, th- I think the, the key thing was when War Prowse passed two free kicks uh, in his last game under Nathan Jones. First free kick he gets under Ruben Sellers, he smacks it from 25 yards and it goes in the back of the net. If that's not proof that, you know, the different managers and the kind of mentality, then yeah, I, th- I think that's your answer there. Yeah, I feel like that Ruben Sellers team that we saw today, is, or, or yesterday, I should say, is everything that Nathan Jones wanted, but just wasn't able to get out of them. At the start, he promised us an aggressive team, ones that, one that's going to keep clean sheets, the ones, one that's going to fight for us. And we didn't really see any of that at all under Nathan Jones. Maybe at times against Manchester City, maybe against Everton. But over the eight games, and we only only won one, lost seven, it, it really didn't feel like that, where Sellers has had, what, four or five days, and he's installed everything that we really needed, really wanted. Mikey, was it a good time to play Chelsea? I know that they spent 600 million or so, but three draws, Potter's not really getting the luck. There's a lot of people that want him out at Chelsea now. They can't score goals. And even though we were struggling, bottom of the table and hadn't had a win in, in quite a few weeks, did it feel like it was a good time to play um, you know, Chelsea? I, I think so, yeah, just because just of how sort of, how difficult it would be to do that job. Like the 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 amount of players that have come through the door over the last twelve months at Chelsea, the amount of money that's been spent, and the amount of players that probably expect to be playing week in week out is probably really difficult to balance. And when you're trying to teach like such a set system like Potter and such detail and and understanding that's needed to play as Potter, like it took him two or three years at Brighton to get it going. 
Like he only had the year at Swansea to to, to, to try and install it. So at Chelsea, you think he's been there six months and he, he wasn't like completely successful again uh, for Brighton at the start. Like there were games where they really struggled. And you remember like the XG and goals scored comparison with Brighton. They never scored goals because it just didn't go in quite right. So with Chelsea and Potter, I think it's more of a, if you're going to stick with Potter, it's going to be a project. It's going to take time to make that happen. And his job made difficult by having what five six additions in the january window as well to an already very bolstered squad in the amount of players that they've got so yeah i I think he has a difficult job on his hands and he's got he's got to be given time to be able to get that um chelsea side playing the way that he wants whether chelsea want to give him that time is a different question um but no definitely a decent time to to play against them and and like we've we pressed them well and we, yeah we did get lucky a little bit towards the end of the game I think we managed one shot in the second half but that's sort of what you're gonna do we sort of grouped together we defended quite well and and tried to hit them on the counter which what the substitutions of Armstrong and um and uh, Walcott and and who's the other one Mara coming off <laughs> it allowed us to be be a bit more of a counter attacking side um. I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves. Like, I don't want to go like, yeah, let's give Ruben Sellers a three-year contract now. <laughs> he, got a w- he got a win against Chelsea because we did the same under Nathan Jones. Like, we, then when the, he beat City in the cup, we were like, oh my God, it's finally working. Everything's worked out fine. And I think that's where football comes very short term, like in, in the minds of fans and, 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 and players and coaches is that if you win you're amazing if you lose you're, you're the worst manager in the world and I think that's something that we've got to keep in mind is that it's one game Ruben Sells come in we got three points from a game we didn't think we were going to get three points against fantastic but let's give him the eight or nine games that Jones had and let's see how it works because Jones beat City and then still lost seven out of eight Premier League games we thought Everton was that was a massive win and that was going to be a revival and it wasn't so we'll see where it goes like it's it's a good Good three points to get, but we'll, we'll give him give him a little bit of time to actually establish himself as a manager, what principles he puts in, how he takes the squad, because now he's been given the license to take the squad. He's been given the time to take the squad. So let's see what he can do. Like, it, it, it'll be exciting to see where we come out against Leeds, what we'll look like as a team, and how Sells wants to develop this young bunch of players. So it wasn't a goal from open play. So it will be interesting how Sellers likes to build the attacking movements in the next week, next few weeks. But of course, it was James Will Prowse that scored a free kick. Jamie, what was going through your heads when you saw it, when you watched it, um, even if it was just in the highlights? When I listened to it, Harry, he's on the, the saviour. He's the saviour for us at the moment. It's just, it's just not. It's weird because I think like any other team is free kick. Everyone's kind of like, oh, this is cool. Let's see if this happens. It's just like. I think I kind of just expected it to go in. Like, it sounds very obnoxious and a bit spoiled as a Saints fan, but it just you just do. It's like a Lambert penalty. Like, you just. I mean, when like when I remember, I remember being back in that like, league when the championship, we'd celebrate the penalty being awarded like it was a goal, because everyone knew what the result would be. Lambert would smash it in and wouldn't miss. It's the same with Prowsey. Like, apart from those two, like Oli mentioned earlier, and the Jones, we weirdly passed it, but um. It just you just knew it was gonna happen. Like you see everyone's faces when Asp gave away the foul. I think I think it on Stuart which Armstrong. Play, on Stuart Armstrong. Armstrong. Hey, big up to Stuart Armstrong. Brilliant comeback by the way. But talk, sorry, I brought up later. But um it's every, you could see their face, everyone was annoyed and like everyone knew what was gonna happen. Not necessarily knew it was gonna be a goal, but knew it was a massive goal threat. And just like I said, the lovely 
dip and over, and it's just chef's kiss. James Will Prowse is coming for you, David Beckham. Watch your mm-hmm. back. Now, I don't want to put any sort of negative spin or look at it in a bad way, but Ollie, is it? We've talked about this quite a lot in the podcast because James Will Prowse has won us a lot of games because of free kicks, but we've also lost a lot of games because we haven't had free kicks. We've put in too much reliance on James Will Prowse being able to get those um, set piece situations. Good question. I mean, the way I look at it is it's brilliant that he's in the side and he's able to do that. And it's not like we're going down just to get a free kick so that he can shoot from 25 yards. I think that's the important part. It's not, it's not like we could thread a, a through ball for a one-on-one so that someone can go and score. It's that the players are smart and they know if they feel that touch and if they know they're not going to be able to retain the ball, they go down. That's modern football nowadays. So they might knock it past a player, get hit, go down 25 yards. We've got almost like a penalty. I mean, Warprouse's conversion is like some players' penalty conversions. That's how good he is. So we have that asset. We will use it to the best of our abilities. Is it slightly concerning that we're not picking up goals from more open play scenarios? Possibly, but you take what you can get when you're in a relegation scrap. You, If you have the ability to do something and do it well, you will kind of play towards that. So maybe that is kind of our style and that will play for free kicks. But we have arguably the best panel, um, free kick taker in the Premier League history. So yes, you're going to use that if you could. And that's what the best teams do. When you when you look at like Liverpool and Man City's last year, their set-piece statistics, they were the best in the league because they get goals from everywhere. It's not just they build play in the right way. Like a City goal in Guardiola's mind is a cutback and a free shot at the back post. That's what Guardiola would want. But you put emphasis on set-pieces because they can just turn into free goals. If you can put a free cross into the box and get a man running onto it and scoring... You're creating goals from situations where it's difficult to defend them. It's not always the easiest to defend a free kicker or a corner or whatever. And it's something that we've got to take advantage of is having being able to create goals from set-piece situations. The reason why Fulham are doing so well this year, they've got 10 goals from set-pieces, a second to Spurs. Like they're, they're creating, they're having really, really tight games. They're keeping themselves tight and compact and... And in games where it's nil-nil, like at the weekend, they beat Brighton 1-0 and Brighton out-XG'd out them by two and a half goals or something ridiculous like that. And yet they kept themselves in it and then took the opportunity that they create. And, and that's the tight margins that you can get. And if a game is decided by a James Ward-Prowse free kick, no one cares. We've walked away with the three points. Who cares if we can play, play a, a like parsley beautiful 30 um past goal that we scored against Chelsea a couple of years ago on Boxing Day. Like if James Will Prowse can pick a ball up from uh, within 30 yards and smash it in the top corner or bottom corner this time, fantastic. We'll we'll take the goal through that. Um there's something that we can definitely utilize and something that it it will be important in our survival is can we get goals from set pieces? Can we get goals from different situations? And if we can score from more from open play, fantastic. It'll just add to the amount of goals that Wolf Prowse can score from a set piece. Because I think it's 10, 10 shots he's had from free kicks. Three of them have gone in this year, like in the Premier League. So definitely a decent ratio to have. Mikey, would you say that's Celez's main job, being able to make sure that we score from different situations? Because having the free kicks are always, always nice. But then you'll see what happens in the previous game when they put players on the line, made it more difficult, sort of compacted the box. 
if they if they realise that they've got Onacha, we've got Onacha in the box, they'll chuck two players on him rather than one. There's a ways that they can get around and sort of block the main ways that we can score. Because under Jones, it was only really James Will Prowse that was making the difference for us. So that's Sellers' job now to make sure that when Adams gets back of the team, he can get the goals. We can get goals from wide that the other midfield players can get involved as well. Well, we've now got a forward that is pretty much a complete forward. He's fantastic with the feet, with the ball at his feet, good in the air. He's a goal scorer and he's someone that we can provide for. It's a target now that we can go for. It probably makes playing in the system a little bit more simpler because you know that you've got a six foot seven striker in the box. <laughs> we had we had plenty of crosses going into the box aimed towards him, and, and it's just about finding that quality to be able to put the ball into the box. It is Sellers' job to find different ways of scoring goals, but you can also be a bit clever with set pieces too. You don't if if you're gonna stick two men on, on a Wachu, that leaves someone else free. Let's let's try and find him instead. Like that's what a presence like that does. If you have multiple presences in the box and people are gonna double mark someone, there's someone that's gonna be free. And that's just how it works. Um, so it's it's about being clever on our end as well, and and that's why you're getting set piece to coaches coming in and throwing coaches to coming in is because if you can get that small margin, and even if like two percent of your goals come from a throw a long throw, then all of a sudden you've got an advantage of having that extra two percent than everyone else. So yes, it's Sellis's job to to find ways of scoring goals, and it does become a little bit more simplistic when you've got quality on the pitch that can do it for them. But it's also the player's job to be able to execute that. But also not that. They're the ones out there. They're the ones that are, are on the pitch, on the ball, creating these scenarios. It's also their job to go, well, actually, if Sellers has told me this, but I can see something different, do something different and, and, and create that opportunity yourself. So, yeah, it's, it's having that freedom on the pitch to, to be able to work out yourselves and not just rely on your manager on the touchline to tell you what to do. Actually think for yourselves and be able to create something yourself. Throwing back to the Chelsea game, the second half was especially important for us and two massive blocks from Maitland-Niles and Parade. Jamie, which one do you think was the best? I think the Maitland-Niles one was quite comical, really. Obviously, hmm. I know he's throwing his body in the way for the sake of blocking the ball, but it's just a way of just hitting him from the, from the back and no idea what's going on. I just, I just think it just shows the fact that... It's not shows the fact, sorry. I just think Maitland-Niles under Jones was all over the place. Under what, a week with Sellers, he, he had a brilliant game and it actually looked like a, a decent footballer for once. <laughs> and showed his class, which the other way he's why he was at Arsenal for so many years is because he has that talent. I think hopefully for the last few games of the season we have trying to stay up in his relegation battle, he can show that experience and hopefully be a leader on the pitch. And the same with um with Parade's goal goal, goal clearance is that it's like just brilliant positioning from him really. It's that you see Bazuna's going forward to chunk the block and he ran behind him and booted it out. Then obviously Lavi got the the other deflection on it when Sterling tried to smash it in the goal. How important do you think just being consistently able to block opportunities is? Because I read a part of uh, Brentford's recruitment for defenders was players with high successful blocks. Um, mm. So I, I don't know whether it's a thing that's coming more into the game now, but the ability to stop shots so that you don't have to test the keeper or you don't have to you know, invite pressure from mm. second second balls and things like that. How important and how much of a relief do you think it is when players are putting in blocks like that? 
It's sort of like people say that you can't really read many things from statistics, but you sort of can. If you if you if you talk about block shots, you can talk about reading of the game. It's positioning. You can say that they're getting in the right position. They're reading the 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 striker's ability to maybe fake a shot or block a shot. But it's also their courage and and their willingness to be able to get in front of that ball. So I mean, what against Chelsea, they had seventeen shots and seven of them were blocked. So you're nearly cutting out half of Chelsea's shots just for getting yourself in the way of it. Um, they ended up having the same amount of shots on target as well, and we only had eight. So you look at that percentage there too. Um, but no, that that ability and willingness to block the ball is is very important. If you can get a block on a shot um, instead of like having that shot travel close to your goalkeeper and, and going towards the goal, then fantastic. You you've blocked that shot, and therefore you don't have to worry about the shot going on target. Um, I know that there's there's been talk of like Liverpool saying don't block a shot if it's over a certain distance out because if it takes a deflection, Allison's already made a dive for it, then it can make a difference. But yeah, especially when you're in around that 18 yard box, having a shot on target and you being able to block it, it'll be it'll be fantastic. Um, yeah, and it, it it does become key in recruitment as well if you can get a, especially like a team like Brentford who do like to play slightly deeper. They're not overly a high line and. There's someone that do like to encourage pressure from an opposition. You can get a centre half that can block a load of shots. Then fantastic, you're onto one. Now the two people that did make the blocks, Maitland-Niles and Parada, people that have had quite quite a difficult spell either this season or also under Nathan Jones. Parada didn't get a lot of minutes. I think the main the main one that we can remember him for was the Blackpool game when he got two goals. Maitland-Niles has been a bit disappointing from a lot of fans' perspective. Oli, could this be the start of maybe a, a redemption arc for them? Maybe that sounds a bit a bit dramatic. We're not in a film. It's it's just a bit of football at the end of the day. But <laughs> yeah. after having a difficult spell, Celes has you know has come out and he's picked the players that he wants, and they're in the starting eleven. I've always had the belief that if a team's winning, you shouldn't change that for the next game. I think it builds up partnerships between different players. Players that had something to prove can continue on their form. So. Yeah, in my opinion, someone like Maitland Niles, who hasn't had much time in his his time here at St Mary's, um, it allows him to to kick on. He we always brought him in as a bit of experience. He's got those Premier League uh, appearances that a lot of the players that we brought in didn't have. So when we brought him in, I thought it was a good opportunity to have some some experience. And you can see that sometimes he especially under Jones, he, he wavers. He doesn't show that consistency. Whereas now, hopefully he can build upon that. He he can be an experienced member in that dressing room and, and show that experience, give that to the other players because it's something we need. That was the, the thing that everyone was shouting about, saying that we don't have experience, we don't have the Premier League, um, the minutes, it, it's all people from different leagues or youngsters and stuff like that. Well, this is one player that does have it. So I am really looking forward to hopefully him kicking on. I mean, those blocks turned out to be matching as well. At the end of the game, Ruben Sellers was sort of pushed towards the away fans and you could tell he really, really enjoyed that. Jamie, are we looking too much into the celebrations at the end of the game? A lot of people mm. said, look, they, he's pushed them into the crowd. That shows that they love him. But then where Everton, Jones was pushed into the crowd or pushed towards the crowd and he did <laughs> the old fist bump celebration. Was it just the showing that we really needed those three points and it was just a, a together unit? wasn't sure we were going to take that game with the Marsh deal breaking down as early as it did. I think it's just very exciting that he won the game. And it's, just, it's nice to see the players backing the, the manager. Yeah, he might not be the permanent manager just yet. 
However, it's nice to see the players that do like him and they're and they he, he can take encouragement from that. The fact that players do trust him, and hopefully, will play for him, play for the shirt. But I'd be interested if he does get the job. However, I think we said previously, give him a couple games more before we give to him permanently. But I think the, fact, the players like it and the fans as well. Three points on the board, Mark. Who is there anyone that especially impressed you? Maybe that you know impressed in the past, but anyone that's also shocked you? Go, wow, that's he really put in a good performance there. I mean, Stuart Armstrong coming back in, and I, I think he was vital to to some of the attacking play that we've had and, and we've lost out on since he's been out. Um, I love the way that he floats inside from the right-hand side. Sometimes he'll stay wide, but sometimes he'll move into that more attacking midfield role that he was known for at Celtic and and sort of had influence on the game there. Um, I think Lavia and Ward-Prowse as a two is something that, again, we've missed out when Lavia's not been there. We, we've missed out on that, having a player who can, well, two players who can progress the ball really effectively and, and be quite press-resistant and, and can keep the ball well. Um, again, I talked about Onowatu earlier, and, and I mean the back four were fantastic. Benarek was brilliant again, but again, this is what he's best at: is defending and and putting blocks on the line and 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 being in front of the ball. That's what Benarek is good at. Um, and I think it's also good for Bazunia as well that he managed to keep the clean sheet. So I think overall as a team, it was it was a really good performance. Um, I don't know about going unchanged into the next game. If Carl Walker Peters is fit, I'd want Walker Peters in in the starting eleven instead of. Uh, Maitland Niles probably because I just think he had so much down that right hand side creativity wise and I think it's something we did lack in the game of when Armstrong came inside Maitland Niles wasn't always looking to overlap and we sort of then became quite one sided and lacked width in our attack so I think if Carl Walker-Peters comes back in all of a sudden you've got a man who wants to fly up that right hand side and always wants to keep that width on that right hand side so I would I would personally put Walker-Peters back in um but yeah, I think overall it was it was just really really good, and we'll we'll see who's available and what changes there are when we come to Leeds next week. And we'll speak about Leeds in a moment. But Ollie, one question that I really want to ask you: Sellers, he's done really well, a hundred percent record in his bank. But is it good that he's the caretaker manager? That if he does really well, we can just keep him on. But if he doesn't, we can just get rid of him and move on. When you say get rid of him, would you? Uh, demote him back to assistant, assistant. or it depends what he would want to do because if he feels like he could make a step up somewhere else and another manager wanted to get his own backroom staff I know we're talking you know fantastical situations at the moment they're not real because you know he's got a 100% record but if mm. that did happen yeah I'm not quite convinced on this 100% record <laughs> thing because he's played one game <laughs> um, so yeah I mean he's definitely said that he wants to be a manager I mean, I loved his response when he said, I look like a manager because I am a manager. And that gave me a great sense of confidence without feeling like he was being too cocky. He just backs himself. So this is his moment to prove it. You mentioned it previously in the podcast that there's assistant managers that have stepped up and been managers. But he's got to invest in himself. He's got to continue providing results in order to get that position. So again, it's like a longer, it's kind of like a, a month, maybe a couple of weeks. He's he's got to prove himself that does he want to keep this job full term, and um, is he the right man for it? So yeah, you're right. He's he's continuing to prove himself. There's a lot of people who be like, oh, sign him, give him the contract now and stuff like that. No, maybe just give him a little while longer because we do see it where some caretaker managers have a couple of weeks. They they decide to stick with him long term, and then it starts to kind of um, fall apart again, and then the 
the players and the the fans quickly turn against them. They want a quotes proper manager in again. So yeah, let's not get too ahead of ourselves, but let's also be quietly confident as well. He's he's done his grafting over like what the last 10, 15 years that he's had his career. He's been fitness coach. He's done a data analysis role. He, he's been assistant manager at three or four clubs as well. And and sort of bounced around Europe. He's been in Greece. He's been in Russia. He's been in Azerbaijan, Denmark, Spain. He's been everywhere. Like he's he's done his grafting, and this is his time that he feels like he can step up and go. Okay, yeah, I think it was his quote. It was like he's been he's uh, uh, provided everyone their principles when coaching. It's now his time to bring his principles into his coaching, and and it's now his team. I think that's something that he's very excited about, but it's it's sort of going back to what, I, I, again, we're going back to Jones, but did he actually take his chance? Did he provide his principles? Were they just excuses or not? And this is his time now. This is his time as manager. The club is going to give him time to be able to put in his principles. And yeah, it's a tough time to do it, but this is where you see like the proper managers fly and, and, and bring in his, his chance to be a first team manager it's his first chance at it and it's a fantastic opportunity for him so hopefully everything goes well and, and he sort of flies into this role and they can just go yes we're going to continue with him i um, mean i know that david horseman was put up in as well he, he moved from the b team he started coaching with the first team and and uh providing his experience as a manager um towards him so maybe that's what the club are going to do they've they've had a over the last 12 months they've promoted internally Carl Martin joining the first team as well so maybe this is something that they're looking to do is promote internally at the football club because it feels like we do have good coaches we do have good people in the 18s and the, and the B team who can step up so let's see what Ruben Sells can do and, and I'm excited for the next couple of games to see what what a Ruben Sells Southampton will look like. And it's Leeds up next. They were the real strugglers at the weekend after losing to Everton and seeing everyone around them pick up points. Jamie, we're going to Ellen Rose, not, not us physically, but Southampton. <laughs> what are your thoughts going into the game? I think it's going to be a very tough game, very aggressive match because we're the most, um, our most fouls against Chelsea we've had all season. And it's typical dirty Leeds. Obviously, we played very similar football with under March and Hassanutal. And I think it'll be a proper. It's a classic, it's a classic Barclays Premier League match. That's what it is. So I'm looking forward to it because it's a relegation scrap. I think both teams will give their all. Obviously, Leeds playing at Ellen Road is always a good game because the fans are unbelievable. However, they are a bit an uproar at the moment and they're not liking the board. So I think that's one thing we need to advance on is the fact that their fans are not happy at the moment. I think that obviously everyone knows the players react how the fans are. If we can take a leap on that. I reckon we can get a win. Yeah, I mean, the phrase dirty leads is a bit of a, an old stereotype. I don't know if that still <laughs> sticks, but we're coming up against them. Ollie, is it too early to say that this is a must-win game? I know in the, in the sense of the season, it, you know, we can lose this game and still stay up, but because it's a relegation six-pointer, off the back of the fact that we just beat Chelsea, the last thing we need is to lose to someone again around us and then the confidence might go down again. No, this is a must-win. Uh, and you said there's chances for us to still lose this and stay up. I think that's very unlikely considering how close we are to Leeds at the moment. The fact that they're going to be on low form, low morale, and we've got this sudden pickup away to Chelsea. It's a big boost. And hopefully there's going to be a bit of relief from our side, from the players having that slight, I know, I know we won and we still stay bottom of the league, which will kind of still stick in the back of their mind. But you've also got to think, We've got three points. We can prove that we've 
we can finally do it. We've got over that hurdle. Leeds just lost to another kind of relegation rival, if you will. So they will have a point to prove and they will come back out trying to prove that point. But I think playing with a little bit more calmness and assurance in your own abilities, we now know we can do it against a team who invested a ridiculous amount, a kind of, uh, yeah, the, in the in the January, bringing in some of the best talents in the world. And we played them and we beat them. So that proves themselves. We can do this. We can, if we can give Chelsea a game, we can give Leeds a game. We should have a bit more assurance and calmness in our abilities going into that game. And I think we need to win it if we want Premier League survival. I think we can't get too clouded up in this win and thinking, oh, this is great. We know whatever we can take on the world. No, we need to beat Leeds to stay in the league. I think it's something like two wins in 20 for Leeds, but they've still got dangerous players. Mikey, who do we have to look out for? But also, how can we break them down? Uh, of course, I think they stick to very similar principles to to what they were under Marsh. So it's very much a lack of possession, very much... Um, I think they have the least time on the ball in the Premier League this year. They're very much as quickly as possible. Let's get the ball forward. Let's try and press and engage and and sort of play at a really, really high tempo. That seems where where they can exploit space and where they can play at that high tempo that they want to play at, that's when they seem to do really, really well. Um, of course, their goalkeeper, Island Meslier, he, he's had quite a decent season this year, obviously faced a lot of shots, but he's had a good year this year, the Frenchman, and he's sort of still growing into his role, being only 22. You've got players that probably haven't had the best of years, but still can have a fantastic day. And Jack Harrison and Rodrigo, he caused problems down at St. Mary's earlier on in the season. Um, so those are probably players you can look out for. I think Maximilian Weber is a fantastic signing that they bought in January, a centre-half from, I think it was Leipzig in the end. I think it's another signing that Jesse Marsh took away from the Red Bull <laughs> system. Um, but he did wonderfully in the Champions League earlier. I think I think two years ago, he was a wonderful centre-half in the Champions League for him. And yeah, I think he, he can cause problems as well with his ability to dictate play on the ball from deep. Uh, whether it be a um, a sort of issue with Leeds hiking the ball longer than everything else, then yeah. Um, I think the way that we can beat them is, is definitely taking the tempo out of the game. I think trying to bring a controlling essence to the game. Leeds, I, I, I'm reflecting on this, like Leeds are Southampton under Hassan until they're going to come out fast and sharp and they're going to want to get a goal early in the game. Uh, to try and create that space for them to exploit with teams having to come out their shell. Um, and I think, in all fairness, as the longer the game goes and the longer we can keep it at nil-nil or if we can nick a goal or something like that, Ellen Road will turn, it will become toxic, they're going to get on the players' back and it will be a hard atmosphere to play in, as Jamie said. So I, I think with um, with the way it is, I mean, Notto, I think is his name, the young Italian lad, he's been their bright spark this year. So you, if you can sort of control the game, give Leeds... Um, Leeds are going to come and press, maybe go a little bit longer. Maybe Jones ball would work here. Hmm. But yeah, maybe go a little bit longer over their press. And it, it probably can become quite a, a scrappy long ball. No one really wants possession. No one really wants control. But if we can add that controlling element to the game, I think we can come out quite strong here. And uh, and fingers crossed, get another three points and make it back-to-back -back wins. I don't know when the last time we had back-to-back -back wins, to be honest. So it's, it's probably been a little while. 
Yeah, in the Premier League, I don't know. Uh, all competitions, we had it in that nice little spell of Palace, City and Everton. But apart from that, yeah, it's a long, long time ago. Definitely not this season and probably not even last either. But now it's time for everyone's favourite part of the show. It's score prediction time. Ollie, what do you think is going to happen? I'm genuinely confident. I think it's been a long while. I've been really reserved on my predictions. <laughs> but I, I do feel confident in predicting a 2-0 win to Saints. 2-0, a clean sheet. I like the sound yeah. of it. I'm going to go for 2-1. I still feel like Leeds offer a lot going forward, but I feel confident that we can do something. And you know what? James Rappel scored a free kick at Ellen Road, if I'm not mistaken, last season. So let's get his 18th as well. Jamie, what do you think is going to happen? I'm not quite confident anymore, Harry. I am openly confident. I'm going to go for a 2-0 win for the boys. A big man Paul get his first goal, another priority free kick. That's... I love the sound of that. Marky, you're going to make it for what feels like the first time in ages for Southampton win predictions. Uh, I'm going to go for a 1-0. I, I think I think we'll we'll scrape a victory. I'm hoping that Leeds sort of... I mean, that's how the game will go, is that Leeds are going to start quickly, but hopefully we can sort of build our way into the game and, and try and quieten down the Ellen Road crowd and, and make it quite a horrible atmosphere for them to play in. Um, but yeah, I think one nil. We can, if we can make it two away wins on the bounce, two clean sheets on the bounce. I, I think that'll be unbelievable and something that we really, really need, especially against a relegation rival like Leeds. So if if we, it'll be a really important game for us to win. If we can win it, everything's looking up. And I think either team that sort of don't come away with a result here, I think yeah, their their season's looking quite bleak. I think it will make us look like a serious proposition as well. I think a few weeks ago, a lot of people wrote us off, forgetting that we've been in relegation battles before. Maybe not the same players, maybe not of the same style. But there's always hope. There's always hope, especially when there's only a few points in it. But anyway, that is all we've got time for for this week's episode of the podcast. We talked about Jesse March and the failings of that. We talked about Chelsea, the 1-0 win there. And we previewed Leeds. I've been Harry Tizard and I've been joined with Oli Boast. Thank you for listening. Mikey Maysman. Oh, thank you. And Jamie <laughs> Allen. Thank you very much. Hopefully next week we'll be reviewing a win against Leeds United and we'll preview the upcoming game in the Premier League. We'll see you next week.